0: In the game of life, maintaining a healthy lifestyle and nurturing meaningful connections with family can be among the most
1: formidable challenges we face. It was always a name in the background, son of national team player John Harkes and Cindy Harkes. So there is that pressure, but I take it as a positive. Yet for many professional athletes,
0: fostering both has proven to be a triumphant recipe for success.
2: The number one thing Cindy and I both try to focus on was the character of who they are. Not so much about what they're gonna achieve.
0: I'm John Frankel. For the past two decades, I've traveled the globe covering some of the most impactful human interest stories in sports. On this show, I'm sitting down with some of the biggest families in the game, the legends, current superstars, and the up and coming playmakers to understand what's really making them tick. What can pro athlete families teach a new generation about the importance of caring for your health and finding success in the face of adversity. Together, we'll hear stories of their remarkable comebacks, setbacks, and the crucial role their family and self-care played in their paths to championship glory. This is Heart of the Game. The story of American soccer can't be written without John Harkes. One of the most accomplished players in US history, Harkes played a key role in the rise and popularity of the beautiful game here in the States. He was the first American to play in England's Premier League. The midfielder led Team USA in two World Cups, including the 1994 Cup in which the host nation, the U.S., captivated the country with its run to the round of 16. In 1995, he led the American team to a U.S. Cup victory. shot, the followed by leading the same team to the semifinals of the Copa America tournament and being named co-MVP. During his career, Harkes collected 90 caps, that is, appearances for the national team. He also won two Major League Soccer championships with D.C. United. Harkes stayed connected to the game following his retirement as a TV commentator and is currently the coach of the Greenville Triumph in the USL League One. His son, Ian Harkes, is hard at work building his own legacy on the pitch. Harkes arriving, first-time shot, caught the post, and it ends up going in. Ian Harkes has scored long-range blast, his first MLS goal. He recently returned stateside to play for the MLS franchise, the New England Revolution, after four seasons playing in Scotland. John's wife and Ian's mom, Cindy, was a standout college and pro soccer player. Ian's wife, Sarah Teagarden also played professionally for the celtic fc women's club in scotland in addition ian's two younger sisters lily and lauren also played at the collegiate level one can only imagine the backyard games that happen during family gatherings is there a pickup soccer game at at
1: your house on thanksgiving there have been many a pickup game um i don't know about thanksgiving i think we bring out the american football to pass around every once in a while just to throw our pigskin yeah, a little bit <laughs> try yeah. and get into it and then we go back we to just it. try to fit in yeah
0: <laughs> for the Hawks, there is no off season because soccer is the family business john let me start with you you grew up in new jersey at a time when soccer probably wasn't on the front burner for most people at least not yet in this country When did you start playing and what was the appeal? Yeah, I
2: think, you know, I I started playing as soon as I can walk, basically. And I do remember my dad being a big influence in coaching and running training sessions. My brother, Jimmy, three years older than I, so I think he was seven at the time and my dad was bringing him down the register for the youth clubs and for the youth league that was in Kearney at that time. And my dad was coaching and, you know, he signed me up as well at the age of four. And so it was kind of almost like, that's what I knew. This is part of where we grew up because of the culture there it was a lot of Scottish, English, and Irish families. And then you go across the one small bridge, very small bridge to Harrison in Newark. And it was Portuguese and it was uh, Latino, Central American. And It was just like a melting pot of people playing soccer everywhere. And we thought that that's how the world was. (laughs) You know, it wasn't just in a small town in Kearney. So we just continuously played every day, all the time.
0: As John came of age, the United States was just starting to get its first taste of professional soccer, thanks to the establishment of the North American Soccer League and the spectacular ascent of the New York Cosmos in the 1970s and 80s. The Cosmos hosted home games in both New York and New Jersey, and was home to one of the sport's most legendary players, Pele, who was one of the team's forwards and left an indelible mark on American soccer history. I'm going to age myself here. How much did the Cosmos and Pele's presence influence you at that point? It was the biggest influence, um, having some
2: of the best players in the world come and play basically in your backyard. I was a ball boy for the Cosmos for a short period of time as well, so I got to experience that and see Pele in, in the dugouts, in the dressing room, in the tunnels, coming out in the field, and Giorgio Canaglia, who I got to work with at XM for a short period of time when I wasn't coaching. And they were all there, all these players, Warner Roth, you know, quality players. Uh, Santiago Formoso, who lived in Kearney, was part of the Cosmos roster as well. So we kind of had them all around. And then Ricky Davis, who was like the all-American boy that was on that team of world all-stars. And those guys were coming across. And at the end of our youth season, they'd be presenting trophies to us. So I'm like, what is
0: going on here?
2: It's surreal that they
1: were in the Isn't country. that amazing?
0: Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Ian, did those names mean anything to you coming up a generation later?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think their names still hold that power and that influence throughout everyone that loves football. And I think the fact that my dad would pass down those stories and say that he was the ball boy working and being around those guys in those environments, and they're probably playing at some of the best times in their career, and the fact that they are doing it in the U.S. is massively influential, so... Yeah, I think my generation, it still speaks volumes, their names and what it means to us.
0: Ian, did you have a choice about pursuing soccer? (laughs) I don't mean that necessarily (laughs) in the literal sense that your parents, you know, (laughs) tied a soccer ball to your foot. But given that not only was your dad an accomplished soccer player, but your mother was a collegiate soccer player, how much was that sort of the family business?
1: It definitely was just there like my dad said when you're growing up it's just around you right away and i think i started probably around 3 or 4 years old too so i think they presented it to us and me and my sisters we all from a very early age we just took to it and i think i did have a choice i played a lot of other sports wasn't very good at them <laughs> to the same level you're that i was a heck at of a basketball player had <laughs> two. very good yeah so i played a little basketball a little bit of rugby one very quick season of baseball and didn't love it. And uh, yeah, so I always came back to football. I always came back to soccer.
0: Like his dad, Ian excelled at the amateur level. He won the Herman Trophy in 2016 while at Wake Forest as the best collegiate soccer player in the nation. The same award John, his dad, won in 1987 while playing for Virginia. Let's talk about the fact that you grow up with these two parents who played soccer at a high level and your father was able to take it to the next level beyond college. You experienced a great deal of success as a high school soccer player. You go to Wake Forest, you have a great career there. In fact, you win the Herman Trophy, which I believe our crack staff, you are the only father-son team to both win that award for the best soccer player in college soccer, the equivalent of the Heisman. Is it a double-edged sword? Ian, to be a Hark's and pursue soccer? I mean, you you go and maybe in some cases you didn't need this to open the door because your talent spoke for itself, but then there's also expectations that come along with that, aren't there?
1: Yeah, I take it as a lot of blessings. There's a pressure that comes with it because, yeah, ever since we started to maybe make names for ourselves and step into different challenges, it was always a name in the background of... Son of national team player, John Harks and son of Cindy Harks, you know, Hall of Famer, everything that she's done as well. So there is that pressure, but I take it as a positive pressure. I don't see it as a negative. And I think my sisters do as well, because we're proud of what our parents have done. We've seen them go through so many challenges and they've kind of paved the way for us so we can follow their example. And they've been great role models for us. Um, and they have opened a lot of doors and opportunities for us. And then it's up to us to step through those doors and take it on ourselves. So... I could definitely call it a double-edged sword, but it's definitely a blessing more than I think I see it as a a challenge. But the talk is always there and people are always going to question it.
0: And when you speak of talk, did anybody trash talk you on the field as you were growing up? Oh, you're not your dad or you think you're your dad or maybe worse?
1: Uh, I don't think too bad. Maybe you get the odd person that you know come for you a little bit, but I don't think It wasn't too bad in Northern Virginia for trash talk. And even if
0: they said something to the effect of, oh, you play like your mom, that was actually a compliment in your case. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I need to play more like my mom sometimes. But I I was actually (laughs) going to
0: ask, are there subtleties to the game that you got from your mother that were advantageous in your career to this point?
1: Well, we always talked about the different positions. Dad being more of a midfielder, he played right back as well, but... My mom was always kind of a number 10 or a striker. So she was always like talking to us when we were in the backyard playing or training or doing something where she was like, you guys need to have the finishing gene. You don't have that <laughs> and everything. But you scored plenty of goals in your time. But She's like,
2: where's the striker? Yeah, in our she family? was always
1: bringing up that and getting in the box and how do you make runs and everything like that. So we had two different aspects like that. But we've been surrounded by a lot of strong women playing the game our whole lives. Yeah.
0: John, as Ian and the girls embarked on these careers, and following you and Cindy into this line of work, what did you say to them to prepare them emotionally and mentally to deal with carrying the Hark's name on the back of their shirts? I think the number one thing we,
2: Cindy and I both try to focus on was the character of who they are, not so much about what they're going to achieve or anything, but just being a you know, good character person and through the adversity, because there's a lot of downs as well as ups you know in every sport and any professional career that you seek. Although soccer is just one of those, it's a big platform and people are going to follow you. And we're always saying, you can never be wrong doing the right thing. And so we always kind of said, keep your head you know even keeled through that process. And it's always easier to say it than to actually go through it. It's always harder when you actually physically go through that. So I think we were always just trying to find a balance as best as we could to prepare them for what was coming, but they have to go through that because they're just passing through you as children anyway. So you can't feel like your experiences are going to be exactly the way theirs are, but you just kind of prepare them a little bit through ups and downs what people are going to write about what they're going to say like your team lost oh you guys stink you know whatever negative it always comes with it that's part of the sport and you just take it and move on
0: in 2017 ian made the leap to professional soccer he joined major league soccer's dc united franchise the same team his dad played for when he won two mls titles
1: when I first started playing with DC, I was my first game I was playing against Pierre Lowe and David Villa for New York City. I was like, wow, how are these players, you know, on the same pitch as me yeah. right now with their careers? And so I was very lucky to be a part of that and have two good years with DC United and, and part of my professional career. But then I just saw the opportunity to go and, and continue to get games and kind of expand my career a little bit. and. Like we talked about my dad first going and kind of being a trailblazer and pioneer for everyone, not just myself, but for American players in general. And what he did just broke down doors and barriers, which it does still exist over there.
0: Over there, meaning overseas, Europe is considered the cradle of soccer with some of the most storied teams and players in the sport's long history. Twelve World Cup champions have come from Europe, by far the most of any continent, And in 1990, John Harkes went across the pond to play for Sheffield Wednesday.
1: Worthington switches it to Harkes on the right. That's a good effort. Oh,
3: what a tremendous goal by John Harkes. His first
0: ever in English football and one he'll remember for the rest of his days. In 1992, the midfielder made history by becoming the first American to play in the English Premier League. Give me a sense of what that meant in terms of quality of play, and how did it transfer to you as a competitive soccer player? What did that mean to you to be at the Premier League level? Well,
2: total honesty, I think at that time, you don't really understand what that means. You're just there, and you're in it, and... I was very fortunate in the first seven months there, you know, scored a goal of the year and then uh, we were winning a title against Manchester United at Wembley. So it it was all coming really quickly. But what people fail to recognize is there was four months of me on trial and fighting and trying to be accepted there. And people think, oh, you played in the World Cup, you know, you're going to play for a club in England, Sheffield Wednesday. I'm like, and it was some dark times, like me staying over there, not making it. And a lot of phone calls back to Cindy, who I was dating at the time, and then to my mom and dad too, like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And it's crazy to think that, but I actually played in the World Cup before I was a real pro. And it was because we were ragtag bunks of college kids coming out and with fighting chip on our shoulders to prove things to the world. And we got that opportunity, so... I've been really fortunate to be in those opportunities. And I always just try to make the most of them as best as I can. And so when you think about what you just mentioned, the Premier League, that came in the second season when they changed the Division One, Division Two status. And they said, this is the Premier League now. And it did raise the expectations and the level of play and the speed of play. Because now there was more international players coming into those leagues where it used to be like, two or three international players per club. Now you look at the lineups and you're spotting, like, is there any English players out there, let alone the Americans? But you open the door and you create those opportunities. Fair to say that it made you a better
0: player playing at that level? Without a doubt.
2: Because when you get to the higher levels, people think that you recreate certain moments in the game or you create, it's just speed of play, speed of thought, and the physicality. And it's, the quicker you can think, and and that's where I think you know a lot of our kids have been really gifted because they see the game well. I think Sarah, as well as Ian and Lauren and Lily, could all be great coaches if they wanted to because they really understand the game of football because they live it. You know, it's their passion; they're emotionally invested in it. But I think that's the biggest difference was that that speed of play, that speed of thought, and just you're not always going to be the fastest player on the, on the field, but you got to think faster than anybody else, and that's what helps you get by.
0: Ian Harkes once again followed the trail his father blazed years earlier. In 2019, he joined the Scottish club Dundee United. His wife, Sarah Teagarden, also played professional soccer for Celtic FC in the Scottish Women's Premier League until her retirement in 2022. Ian, what did you see as the biggest difference leaving American soil and then going to play for a club over there?
1: One of the biggest differences is just how much of football is embedded in the culture over there. And I think the U.S. has come such a long way, and it's amazing to see what they are doing and how strong the league is here now. The league's is basically as old as me, just when you started in 1996 and everything. And it's taken, <laughs> you know, leaps and I'm bounds. I'm old, I get it. Right no. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice, nice, yeah, nice. Subtle. Nice. He was subtle uh, about it. Yeah. I think there is still kind of a connotation or a, a bias towards American players, playing overseas of basically not whether or not we can do it, but, you know, are you good enough? Are you good enough to stay in it? Do you get what's going on here? Kind of all of that. The pressures on the smallest games is so high, which makes it fun, which makes it challenging. But you do get to see the other side of it, the nastier side of it, I guess, where (laughs) people's passions come out. But it was cool to see that too.
0: A little bit of home soil for you too, in a a way, right? Uh, Playing in MD, that's where your grandfather is from?
1: Yeah, yeah. Your dad was born in, um, in Dundee just behind uh, and grew up just behind the stadium that we played at. So that was pretty cool. Full kind of circle moment.
0: And, you know, we talked about Sarah, your wife, who also plays overseas professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, how much does soccer dominate the conversation <laughs> when it's just you and Sarah or when the whole family gets together? Does anything else get mentioned? Music, uh, <laughs>
1: movies. <laughs> yeah, we try and talk about a lot of other things. Soccer and football is definitely a dominating part of our conversations. And it just because it's our life, like we said, we just, yeah, we live and, live and it's breathe It's a it.
2: natural, like, everyday thing that's just there.
1: You yeah. Know? And but on the other hand, it's very nice to also have someone that knows exactly what you're going through Yeah. every single day and actually have those conversations where I can just tell her coming back from work you know and training and, and say this is what happened today. and she goes yeah i know exactly what you're
0: going through right i ran 10 more sprints
1: than you did today so yeah. don't complain to me that's what no, i'm said. never gonna i'm <laughs> never gonna win the uh, the competition <laughs> battle with her
0: when we return we'll talk about how soccer has evolved
2: in the old days we didn't have all this data analysis it gets to a point where you go i wonder how much better we could have been if we did have it
0: part of the game we'll be right back
3: Trying to lower your bad cholesterol isn't easy. Kale and spinach? Okay, let's pick up the base. Remember to take your statin. But today, it's possible to go from struggle to cholesterol success with Lecvio Proven to lower bad cholesterol with just two doses a year after two initial doses. You've got this. So if you're ready for a change, ask your doctor about adding LecVio. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people who, along with diet anastatin, need help lowering their bad cholesterol, LDL-C. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, and chest cold. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call one 537 8462 Ask your doctor about twice yearly Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O.
0: And now back to part of the game. Injuries, of course, are a part of every sport and soccer is no different. Pro players run on average between six and seven miles each game. That's a lot of miles on the odometer. John and Ian Harks have experienced pain on the pitch during their careers, but they both feel they've been somewhat fortunate. What have been the worst injuries that each of you have suffered in the course of your
1: careers? For me, probably ankle problems. Torn ligaments, uh, very serious ligaments in both ankles. But thankfully, more recently on my left one, that was more of an eight to 10 weeks. So I was a bit longer where I thought I was gonna have to get surgery and thankfully didn't have to. And then before I've just kind of gone through some other ones that have just been more sprains or serious sprains. So thankfully nothing too bad. John, any
0: lingering effects?
2: Well, I mean, I beat up my body early in those days. You know, it was just fight, 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 compete, you know, really crappy fields, mud. The conditions now that they play in and the science that's applied to it in terms of training and everything is just so much better. (laughs) It's unbelievable. And the recovery periods, and I give these guys so much credit. Like, even Greenville that I coach in the USL. I see players rolling out and doing exercises like hours before training. (laughs) And I'm like, man, we used to come in, you know, get a cup of tea or a coffee and then walk out in the field, warm up for 20 minutes and then we were good to go. That's why you
1: lost your hip. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I
2: had a hip resurfacing technique done, but I did it after I retired. Proven to be successful? Very successful. Like still running and kicking the ball today easy it's not a hip replacement it was a resurfacing done and I've had you know fifth metatarsal breaks at college at UVA I had that um recovered from that and minor cartilage surgery when I was a junior in high school um my knee which is bugging me now (laughs) but uh no other than that been pretty you know lucky I guess
0: not to have the major ones You pointed out something that I would like to address today. And obviously, this is true about almost every sport. You look at the golfers today, and these guys look like real athletes. Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods look like guys who spend as much time in the weight room as they do on the golf course. How has the training changed in soccer today? What are the things that players are doing today, John, that you coach and you didn't do during your day. Ian, what do you see as some of the differences?
2: I think um, just how that science is applied, how the results, you know, are just both macro and micro throughout a whole season. And I, I think that from a high performance coach or strength and conditioning, whatever title you want to give, they have, you know, a lot of input that can help you. And look, I mean, it gets to a point Sometimes from a coach from our generation, and I've been coaching at the pro level since 2007, but it gets to a point where you go, oh, the the old days, we didn't have all this data analysis. And I wonder how much better we could have been if we did have it. Like how much more prepared we could have been. How much better in game situations, instead of just pulling off a hopeful play, that we would have more consistency to do that over and over again based on the strength and stamina that they have. I think players today, speed of the game has gone up tremendously when we played. Even just training with Sarah and Ian like three days ago, just watching him train. I came back and Lauren, my daughter, was like, how'd it go? And I'm like, man, Ian's so powerful. It's ridiculous. Like runs, striking a ball, sprinting. It's crazy. And we can raise it up ourselves at certain times, but to have it at a consistent level, and I think him being in Scotland hardened him a lot. And because of that expectation, physical nature of Scottish football, but just to see how strong he is, it's crazy. Wow. I mean, honestly. Keep going. And, That's great. <laughs> no, I, I, seriously, the training, and the more dedication that they put into really what they eat and the, everything, diet, I mean, it's exceptional. I think it's great. And I think the players can hold for longer periods, longer stretches of time, like real high intensive workloads. We couldn't do that back in the day. There's no way.
0: I've read and heard over the years, different numbers about how much distance soccer players cover in the course of a match, you know, five, six, as much as eight, nine miles. Do you know what the number is today?
1: I think Anywhere from... Well, I was always doing it in kilometers the last couple of seasons, but... Uh, <laughs> Don't confuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think the average was like 10 to 12 kilometers. So I think it's uh, maybe eight or nine miles. So
0: in the course of that, can you run yourself into shape maybe the way your dad and his teammates did, or are you getting into the weight room now different, you know, a generation after you're trying to gain that strength, not just by playing and practicing, but you're getting into the weight room and working and bulking up so that you have the strength to do it.
1: I think like my dad said it nowadays, I think it's just all about finding that extra 1% that you're just adding in so many different facets of the game. But I think he's probably underselling it how much they actually worked and ran and did all of that themselves. And I think that's just, nowadays we have the technology to talk about the metrics and talk about the science and all of the fitness that goes into it. But there's a negative connotation too, where sometimes they hold us back and go, oh, they've only hit this number for the day. And you're looking at it from a coach's perspective and they're probably going, they can get more out of these guys. It's not just based on the numbers. Yeah,
2: that is a balance. That is true though. And then we kind of go like this sometimes back and forth with that. You know, like you guys can, we can push you a little bit more, you know? And sometimes they're like, whoa, whoa, overload. We need to pull them
0: back today. One of the many valuable lessons sports teaches us is the ability to confront and overcome adversity. Ian Hark's encountered such a scenario in 2018 when he was released by DC United. Just two years removed from being crowned the best player in collegiate soccer, Hark's was now a player without a team. But when times are tough, the Hark's family circles the wagons to help each other. Do either of you remember a specific experience in Ian's career where you called up mom or dad and talked to them about it and were looking to be consoled?
1: Yeah, there's probably plenty of examples. Like you said, there's plenty of ups and downs. There's injuries that I've gone through where I've thought, you know, it's the end of the world and I've had to call them. Thankfully, I haven't had too bad of injuries, but you know, anything when you have a little setback sometimes in your career, you can only focus on that moment and you can't see the bigger picture where you're going to get through it and it's going to be all right. But they've talked me through those. They've talked me through even just this past season that I came off of. There was a lot of downs, a lot of big losses. And ultimately the way we finished the season was we were relegated over in Scotland. And that was the first time for me in terms of seeing as a, wow, is this a bigger Kind of picture as a failure, or is it just a part of your career? And you you go through these things, and you've had the highs of being promoted and going over to Scotland and bringing the team up and uh, having that pride with it. And then you think, oh wow, we've also had the other sides of it. So I've had to talk to them, and they've helped me through this whole year. You know, my wife, what she's gone through with playing football, and knows the game very well. I've heard to lean on these. You know, everyone in the game. Everyone experiences different things at different moments, but they've always been there to support and they've always been there to guide. So uh, yeah, very lucky to have that. Self-reflection
2: is the best way to grow. And if there's mistakes or things that happen or relegations like Ian just mentioned or winning Scottish Cup titles like Sarah has done at Celtic, it's like the highs are going to come. You enjoy them and then you reflect back on and say, what did I do really well that helped do that as a team And I think what Ian and Sarah and Cindy and Lauren and Lily all have, and even I have, is it's always team first mentality. And someone can ask you a question, like a reporter can ask you a question that makes you think down and makes you think negative. Like, oh my God, my performance was poor today. I was really crap. And then all of a sudden you go into this spiral downward turn. And it's easy to do that instead of just saying, hey, yeah, I am going to have bad games. We all are. But each team that we continue to keep playing for is that we're going to try to lift each other up all the way. That's what's part of the process of being an athlete and fighting for things every year and every
0: club season. Let me ask you both. It's sort of a hypothetical question here. How different would your relationship be as father son if Ian was not a soccer player and had not reached some of the levels that he had?
2: I don't think it would be different. I think there's a connectivity through the game that we share and a love for the game and we like to talk about it. But I think real life and just being human, like we just, it's family. I don't think it would change much. I would've been kicked
1: out. I would've been kicked out of the house by the age of five. (laughs) There's
2: (laughs) an honest answer. I can't believe he would've been a chess champion. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, I think
1: our relationship wouldn't have changed much. I think it would've been (laughs) pretty good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Let me close this way. Both of you can take a
1: second to think about this and
0: answer it in your own way. It means something different to everybody else. The name of this podcast is The Heart of the Game. What is the heart of the game? What is the heart of the game of soccer to you, Ian?
1: I think the heart of the game is the fact that the game is global. I think it connects everyone that plays. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter what language you speak, what you look like, religion, anything like that. I think it's it's a language that we all speak, and I, my wife and I were talking about this this morning. Anywhere we travel, you see a soccer pitch in the middle of the city. Anywhere you go, you, you can speak to anyone about the game and teams that you love. I think the heart of the game is just that love and that passion that everyone has for it, and you can't really explain it. I think it's just the, something that connects everyone across this globe. It's pretty cool. John.
2: It's hard to follow that up. I think he hit it right on the head. The way it, it doesn't judge, the inclusivity of it, the democratic approach of throwing a ball together, even in tough like countries where there's you know, maybe lack of opportunity or poverty, and you still throw a ball out there and everybody goes out and plays and laughs and smiles and puts their arm around you and just says, wow, that's the heart of the game. It connects everybody across the globe.
0: The Harks family personifies the unwavering spirit of soccer, with its roots intertwined in their DNA. No matter the distance that separates them across the Atlantic Ocean, or the friendly rivalries that ignite during their family pickup games, the game of soccer remains the unbreakable bond that keeps them united, reminding them that strength and dedication both on and off the field are essential for their enduring success. On the next episode of Heart of the Game, we'll hear from NBA legend Tim Hardaway and his son, current NBA superstar Tim Hardaway Jr., on overcoming adversity on and off the court. I've always wanted to play. I played through a lot of injuries. There's a lot of times where I'll be hurt and everybody knows I'm hurt, and I'll tell them, like, no, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna go tonight. But then I'm suited up, ready to go. Your mindset just flips a switch. Heart of the Game is a production of Ruby Studio from iHeartMedia. Our show is hosted by me, John Frankel. Our executive producer is Matt Romano. Our EP of post-production is Matt Stillo. Our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton. This show was edited by Sierra Spreen. Our writer and researcher is Mike Avila. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
3: It's possible to go from struggle to cholesterol success with prescription LecVio, in glycerin, given by a doctor for people who, along with diet and a statin, need help lowering their bad cholesterol, LDL-C. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, and chest cold. Results may vary. Visit LecVio.com or call one 537 8462 Ask your doctor about LECVIO.